Well, if you have your Bible this morning, you can begin flipping to the New Testament as we begin a brand new series this morning, walking through the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians, if you are not familiar, is a letter or an epistle is the other word used to describe this, written by the Apostle Paul. The, the book or the letter of Colossians was written in 62 AD, and it was written by Paul while he was a prisoner in Rome. And he was a prisoner because he would not stop telling people about the good news and salvation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wrote to a little town, or a little church plant rather, within a little town, the town of Colossae, thus the name of the book, the Colossians. A little church plant filled with new believers in a really a, a fairly overlooked smaller town. And uh, Colossians, though, at the same time, is probably, if we look through the entire Old and New Testament, it is probably the book of Scripture that most clearly explains to us the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that Christ is all that we need, Christ alone, and that Christ is, in fact, over all. We'll see later on in chapter 1 that this is the precise message that Paul wants to remind these new believers, and even ourselves as Frankly, a little church plant in a little unknown town, we need to hear these same reminders from the book of Colossians here this morning and in the weeks ahead. Because just like those believers long ago, we too face the temptations of sin that that promise good things but inevitably always end in destruction. We face the same challenges or temptations towards despair or or to, to doubts and to struggles. We live in the same broken world and experience the same types of hurts. We have the same struggle to remain faithful in a world where uh, the world is pushing against the truth that Christ is, in fact, over all and that he is sufficient. And because we have a, a very real enemy whose name is the devil who hates us because he hates our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Paul wants to remind them and us of this great promise that Christ is over all. Christ is the Lord. And so these promises will remind us, as Colossians 3.1 actually says, Paul says in Colossians 3.1, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so this morning, we're gonna begin in Colossians chapter one and verse one and read all the way through verse eight. This is really just Paul's very simple uh, greeting. But even in this greeting, we are going to be reminded to to draw near to the promises of Christ that he has for us and that we might be raised with him in our hearts afresh this morning. So hear God's word this morning, again, verses one through eight of chapter one. Paul begins his letter to Colossians this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. 
Let's begin by asking God's blessing over his word once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inerrant, infallible, inspired by your Holy Spirit, and authoritative for our lives. Lord, it holds your truth. It holds the promises of your grace and mercy to us, Lord, the, the good news of the gospel. Father, would you draw us afresh to your heart this morning? We submit ourselves to you, knowing that you are good and that you are in control. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Sometimes I think that we have this tendency to to look to the things of this world to be enough to satisfy our hearts. But Paul here greets the believers and greets us as believers this morning with three ways that Christ is over all and will raise you up. So thinking about the desires that we have in this life and how Christ satisfies them even better than we might seek for them, number one from verses one and two is this. Christ has given you a, a new, not a new you, but a new identity. Better than a new you, which so many of us may be chasing after, Christ has given us a new identity. So I think the reality, if we look at ourselves, the people we know, our friends, family, and the culture around us, everybody is looking for sort of the fastest, easiest way to get to a new you. Whether that might be self-help books, get a personal coach, a new diet fad, get a little Botox, a better workout routine, maybe a better organizer app, learn a new skill, a new hobby, learn how to influence friends or make friends and influence people. But those things, though they may be in most cases all well and good, they come up short when we keep it in perspective and compare it to the greater reality that Jesus has not come to make a better you or a new you. No, no, he's come to give you a radically new identity. Listen again to verses one and two and and hear this new identity in all of its various beautiful facets. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. See, believer, who I am or who you are is no longer marked by our failures, by our sins, by our struggles, by our guilt, or by our shame. Rather, it is marked by whose I am, that I am in Christ, that I am of Jesus Christ. Paul, in particular, tells us that he is now, in fact, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you remember Paul's testimony back in Acts chapter 9, Paul was formerly what kind of person? He was a murderer. Paul was formerly a Pharisee, a hypocrite, hated Jesus, hated you and I, and systematically murdered Christians. But then he met Jesus. He experienced Jesus face to face. He experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and Jesus chose him to be an apostle and a messenger of the good news of the gospel, in particular to the Gentile world, and that is you and I this morning. Similarly, though, in this greeting in verse 2, Paul refers to all of us who believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior as saints, as the saints. Now, the word saint in Greek simply means holy one or holy ones, that we have been made holy. 
I mean, you say, that, that sounds curious because I know I make mistakes. I know I'm a sinner and I certainly don't wanna come across to the world as holier than now. But when we are called saints, it means not holy by our own effort or our own effect, but gifted a new and righteous identity. Because Jesus took our identity, one of hopeless sinner, and on the cross made an exchange and offered us instead his identity as a sinless son of God. That is our new identity when we receive Jesus as our savior. Not only that, in Christ, we also get a new family. And so here we are told that we have brothers and sisters in Christ because Christ has made himself our brother and has adopted us into a new family where God is now our father, that we are close to him and we have a good and loving father. Not only this, Paul ends this first brief section by saying it's a new identity in which we experience God's grace and God's peace. See, because when you receive Christ as Savior, you become a recipient of God's undeserved, unmerited favor, grace, getting what I don't deserve from God. That's why we can sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I've been given a, a radical new identity because of Christ's grace to us. And then Paul adds the word peace. And behind that is the very well-known Hebrew word shalom. Peace, guys. Not, not just a quiet moment away from screaming kids or an angry boss. Not, not the peace that comes from an afternoon watching Netflix or a great fishing trip or even a great cigar. No, no, no. Real peace, real shalom is a deep down well-being that comes from experiencing the presence of God. Jesus has come down and made a way for you to experience the presence of God. We have been given in Christ a new identity. Secondly, Christ did not come just to give us a new to-do list, but rather he came to give us a new calling, a new calling in Christ. And I say this because I think if we think about our everyday lives, the average person walking around, everybody has got some sort of a to-do list, right? Even now, maybe some of you are zoning out and going to your to-do list. And the funny thing about a to-do list is everybody has one and nobody wants to do what's on the list. The to-do list is a burden because it is never done and we're going to fail at it anyway. So why even try might be the way that we sort of approach that. But what if God's grace was so great that it was actually a to-do list that had been redeemed and was achievable by his grace and brought real satisfaction. Wouldn't that be awesome? What if our new identity in Christ has given us simultaneously a new calling in Christ? And here, God, through the Apostle Paul, says that his calling for you is a three-part to-do list, if you will. And the three-part to-do list, you notice, is faith, hope, and love. Here's your new to-do list in Christ, faith, hope, and love. But he's going to give it to us in a different order here than we're used to maybe hearing it. Faith, love, and hope. Listen again to, to verses three through five. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So it begins with faith here, faith in Jesus. See, because here's the good news this morning. You have been made free in Christ that you no longer have to, are no longer chained to needing to put faith in yourself. Believe in yourself sounds like nice sentiment, but it will inevitably fail. I will be the first to tell you, believe in myself does not work. Jesus says something far greater. He says, put your faith in me and then watch what I will do in you, for you, over you. So let me just ask this morning, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and a savior. It really is very simple. Oftentimes we'll talk about it in terms of the ABCs. A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner and repent or turn away from those sins. And B, believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. You can't do it yourself. He can do it for you. And C, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I mess it up. Jesus, you're in charge. And whatever you say by your word and through your Holy Spirit, I will follow. See, God loves you so much that the faith, the hope, and the love, even the faith, is a gift from him, as is your ability to love others and to have real hope. If we go over to 1 John, 1 John sort of starts to tease this idea out as we transition to thinking about faith and how it connects to love. 1 John 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So we have faith, and then our second part of the to-do list is love, in particular, love for the saints, love for one another in Christ. Now, John 13, 35, same author as the book of 1 John, says this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says that. There's a guy named Peter Skoltis who uh, directed a youth choir back in Chicago in the early 1960s. And he wrote a hymn, uh, probably a lesser known hymn, but he wrote a hymn and he wrote it for a local gathering uh, of churches in the greater Chicago area. And the punchline of this hymn, the, the chorus refrain said this, and they'll know that we are Christians by our love. You know this song? And they'll know that we are Christians by our love. And I would just ask for a reflective moment and ask, how would you say we're doing there? As believers, as the body of Christ worldwide and in this room, how would you say that we're doing there? Or put it another way, how would you say that the lost, unbelieving world around us would say that we are doing in that regard? See, somewhere along the line, Christianity, Christians, believers within churches, it's so easy for us to 
to move away from that reality, and we sort of rewrite the song. And they'll know that we are Christians by our legalism. And they'll know that we are Christians by our perfectionism. Or, and they'll know that we are Christians by our big buildings. And they'll know that we are Christians by our grandiose prosperity promises. And they'll know that we are Christians by our smoke machines. No. They'll know that we are Christians by our love, is what Jesus told us way back in John chapter 13. And the third part of the to-do list is hope. And hope in particular, Paul says, in the promise of heaven. Faith, hope, and love. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, which we tend to, we're sort of more familiar with, 1 Corinthians 13, also written by Paul, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But here, Paul ends with, and sort of puts the exclamation point with hope. So why is it that he puts hope last here in Colossians 1, distinct from 1 Corinthians 13? And I think particularly as we think about the, the blessing, the gift of calling, it is this. Because your calling, faith, love, and hope, one day on this earth will end. That the calling that you have been given, that the raised up to new life will be ended when Christ returns and takes you to a perfect place called heaven. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, asks us very famously, what is the chief end or, or purpose of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So think about it this way maybe for a second. What is heaven? Heaven is faith, hope, and love minus sin and plus the face-to-face presence of a holy, righteous, loving, and good God forever and ever and ever. Our calling to live out faith, hope, and love in this life has an expiration date and what a promise that is. You know, the to-do list, the laundry, ugh, the dishes, double ugh, the homework, the business trips, they will end. Failure will end. Tears will end. Broken relationships will end. Stepping into others' suffering will end. Hunger, injustice, and wickedness will end. But the unending joyous call of God to enjoy him and glorify him forever will continue forever and ever and ever. And so Paul says, put your hope in that. Your call, faith, hope, and love will continue on, but the sin one day will be done. We have hope in heaven. Third and finally, Paul here is giving us a a radical new life in Christ, and he's saying better than a new career is a new mission. Better than a new career is a new mission. Because again, I think if we assess our own hearts and our culture around us, everybody wants to be a part of of something substantial. Everybody wants to be a part of something important, something valuable, something that'll maybe change the world, something that will be remembered after we are dead and gone. And God has got more for you than just a career, although careers are important. He's got a victorious mission for you and I in Christ. Listen again to the end of verse five all the way through the end of our passage here in verse eight. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, 
the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The gospel, the word of truth, has come to you. Again, I've said it already, but the gospel means good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's the reason that we named our daughter Evangeline. It's where we get the, the, the American or the English word, rather, evangelism, good news. Originally, when it first took place, the word euangelion referred to when Caesar would have news that he wanted to be spread throughout the empire of Rome. But Christianity adopted the word and redeemed it and made it even better, saying there is an even higher authority than Caesar. He's Christ. He's supreme. He's sufficient. And he has even better news than any Caesar or any politician or any leader or anyone in power could ever hope to even dream up. And it's this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. I've got good news, says Paul on behalf of Jesus. And Paul says further, I'm inviting you into this mission. Jesus' new mission, Paul says, is, is bearing fruit. It's growing. It's increasing around the whole world. He wasn't wrong then. And he's not wrong today. If you go back to Acts one more time, in Acts chapter 19, we've got this amazing scene. This was in the, if you're, if you're walking through the Seeing Jesus Together journals, Acts 19 popped up earlier this week. And to summarize, Acts 19 is this crazy scene in the city of Ephesus where Christians show up. And the gospel begins to be shared and begins to take root. And what you see is very quickly, the wicked people within that city see what's happening, how the gospel is taking root, and they freak out. And they literally start a riot and begin trying to destroy the city and kill believers because they're so upset about what's happening. Because what's happening is when the gospel took hold in that city, it began to erode and destroy the sex trade in that city. When the gospel took hold, it began to, to lead new believers who were coming out of this wickedness to burn demonic books that were teaching them how to interact with demons. Read Acts 19. It began to manifest itself in such a way that the lost began to say, we're not gonna worship at the perverse temple of Artemis anymore. Rather, we're gonna worship the Lord Jesus Christ. This is people who are lost in their sin who are saying, I've found a new identity in Christ. I found a new calling in Christ and I found a new mission in Christ. And it blew the city up. That's the call of Jesus, that it would be so radical that those who hate Christ would flip out going, this is not what I want. <laughs> but what Jesus says, this is precisely what I wanna see. Change, hope, new life brought into the city. And a chapter later in Acts chapter 20, Paul says this, reflecting on what he's seeing and what he's experiencing. He says, I don't count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is, my life, my career goals, my ambitions, my hopes, my purpose, all of it 
has been made better and greater by submitting itself to the mission of not Ben Harris, but the mission of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of the world. But check this out. In verse 7 of our passage, Colossians 1-7, Paul says that Colossae learned the gospel specifically from a guy named Epaphras. That's interesting. Paul is an apostle. It's a role of authority. It's an important role. But he says, Epaphras is actually the one who told you the good news of the gospel. Do you know that Paul never actually made it into the city of Colossae? In his four missionary journeys, he never actually set foot in the city. Rather, a regular old guy like you and me, not an apostle, just a guy who came to realize his own sin, his need for the forgiveness of Jesus, and was so profoundly impacted by it that he said, I want to spend the rest of my life making sure that my neighbors and the people in my city, Colossae, know the good news of Jesus. And it's this guy, Epaphras, who is sharing the good news about the gospel. I was at our once-a-year Florida church planting network meeting earlier this week. This is a network of, there's about 11 of us, 11 brand new church plants in various places within the greater area of central Florida. And there are 46 of our PCA churches that give money in order to see new churches planted. We are one of those. We're now three and a half years old. There's some that are older, some that are newer. But it's a great time of celebration and a reminder of the mission and so one pastor got up and was just sharing very, uh, very briefly. Um, his name's Tim Rice from Trinity Presbyterian in Lakeland. Some of you guys know him personally. But he was sharing and he said, a long time ago, there was a Baptist pastor who was speaking into my life and he challenged me with this question. And so Tim offered us this question and I offer it to you. The question is this, do you own the lostness of your geography? Do you own the lostness of your geography? Or is that somebody else's problem? As a believer in Jesus Christ, has the gospel so gripped you that you say, I'm, I'm setting aside my to-do list, setting aside even my career ambitions because I want to be a part of a greater mission, a victorious mission in which I see my friends, family, neighbors, total strangers come to experience new life, new identity, new calling, and join the mission of Jesus Christ. This is the book of Colossians. It's going to remind us that Christ is supreme, sovereign, preeminent over all things, that he is sufficient in every area of life, that Christ has come to you in the gospel of grace and he has raised you up and he's invited us to be a part of that mission. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that your mercies are new every morning. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you are in control when our lives feel out of control. Father, we're thankful that even as we have gone through life, regardless of our age, and we've tried out different things, and we've found that they're good, but they're not great. Father, whether we fall into sin and find out that the destruction behind that sin is real, that, that the fun only lasts for a season, or Lord, even as we pursue the good gifts that you've given us in this life and we find that they are not enough and we are reminded that what we need above all else is Christ who is above all. Father, would you move in our hearts afresh this morning and even this week and draw us to yourself. Lord, where we are down for whatever reason, Lord, that you would raise us up, remind us of who we have been made in Christ. We have been made children of the living God, sons and daughters of the most high God. 
a brother, a sister of Jesus Christ himself, filled with the goodness of your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, gifted us your perfect word to lead us. Father, remind us of all the gifts that you have given us. Lord, I pray for those among us even this morning and those who are outside of these walls in our city and beyond and around the world, Lord, those who have not yet experienced, have not heard even about salvation and new life in Jesus. Father, give us a a fresh burden for your mission. Let us not be distracted by the little missions of this life, Father, but by your grace, Lord, would you allow us to more deeply with you own the lostness of our geography. Father, we're a little church plant in a little town. But Lord, it's a city that we wanna see made new by the gospel. Every school, every home, every police station, every, every restaurant, every business, every family, every person, Father, made new by the gospel. That is our prayer, that is our desire, and we have a God who can do it. And so we declare our allegiance to you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.